Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Thank you for choosing the Fired Up podcast. And we've got a jam-packed show for you this time. So with that being said, let's get the formalities out of the way and do our COVID update as we do each show. Uh, As of this week, we have 81.9 million cases of the disease reported here in the U.S., with 998,000 deaths uh, having been recorded. So we are still inching closer and closer to that 1 million mark we so dread. Uh, 577 million people have been vaccinated, and that represents uh, two-thirds of the population having been fully vaccinated and three-quarters having received at least one or more doses. So, you know, we continue to make slow progress on fighting the pandemic. Let's make sure, everybody, that we're doing our part, you know, and especially with the emergence of the new subvariant of the Omicron uh, variety of uh, COVID, uh, we need to make sure that we're protecting ourselves and our loved ones uh, every opportunity we have. All right, so let's open it up. If uh, you've been off the planet, out orbiting the outer moons of Jupiter or whatever uh, in the past few weeks, uh, you may not have heard that there was a draft opinion from the Supreme Court on what their vote would be in terms of overturning, uh, drastically restricting or, you know, doing nothing with the Roe versus Wade decision of 1973, which uh, gives legal access to abortion services here in the United States. Since this memo or this, yeah, this memo uh, was leaked, uh, to say that there's been a firestorm of reaction would be somewhat of an understatement. Uh, opinions and views have come in from all sides as to exactly what this leaked document means. Uh, is this going to be what the final decision of the Supreme Court looks like? And if uh, Roe versus Wade and uh, relatedly, if uh, Casey uh, versus Planned Parenthood um, is also included in that overturning, that is the federal protections for a woman's right to receive abortion services is finally uh, eliminated after nearly 50 years of uh, existence in this country. Uh, There is, you know, just as I said, a firestorm of reactions that are coming in. So what we're going to do today is um, not dig into the meat and potatoes of the memo. We are going to reference it. We'll talk about a few points. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a 100-page uh, document. Uh, it is readily available online. Uh, you can just uh, search for uh, Justice Alito uh, or leaked Supreme Court document, and you will find it. Uh, I do encourage that you, know, you give it a read if you have some time. Uh, it, it is an interesting insight to the thinking of the court on what uh, Roe versus Wade and its subsequent laws uh, actually mean. It's also a good uh, look at kind of the process that the court goes through in in making decisions. So you know it's uh, interesting in that context as well. And as we're going to talk about later in the in the show, uh, 
it also opens up a whole range of um, rights that were put in place based on decisions of the Supreme Court since 1973, but that are actually not uh, protected rights in the fact that they are supported by uh, codified law uh, or written in the Constitution. We're going to talk about those as well uh, later on in the podcast, so you know, make sure you stick around for that. Um, but starting off, let's you know get into a little bit of the reaction. As I said, I'm I'm not going to specifically read portions of or or large excerpts from the the memo itself. Uh, it's out there. I encourage you to download it and read it for yourself. But as I said, if you've been you know incommunicado off the planet or whatever over the past uh, few weeks then you may have missed the story that a uh, memo written by Supreme Court Justice Alito that outlines where the uh, court was uh, thinking in terms of its decision on the fate of the uh, Roe versus Wade uh, decision and protections guaranteed by that. And uh, essentially, it is a a draft memo on the decision. It was uh, authored in February of this year and somehow, some way, it uh, got leaked to uh, Politico and, of course, you know, in instantly made headlines all over the country. Uh, and, you know, the, the arguments that have been coming since then have, you know, gone down two paths. One argument, and this is probably the the, the main uh, argument was uh, exactly where the Supreme Court lies and what their decision is likely to be. And, and again, caveat that with that this is a draft memo. Uh, it is not uh, of a, a, a decided issue uh, from the standpoint of this is how the court is going to decide. They could, in fact, uh, rethink it and come back with something different. We don't know. Uh, the, the full decision isn't expected in the, uh, the case that is driving this until you know, sometime in June or perhaps early July. So the, the major uh, issue of how the court's going to decide uh, in, in this preliminary memo is that it is likely that uh, the Roe versus Wade law is going to be either uh, completely overruled or so drastically restricted as to, in effect, be overruled by the court. The other path that the discussions have been going down for the past uh, 10 days or so is actually how did this document get leaked? Who was the person who, um, who leaked it to Politico? You know, how did, how did this come about? Um, it has been widely stated that there have been uh, no leaks uh, of Supreme Court decisions, uh, even going back into the 1970s with the whole um, Watergate issue. Um, but in terms of a, a leak of what an actual decision was going to be, uh, it's been more than 100 years since that has happened at the Supreme Court. 
Um, and, you know, this is one part of the discussion that is just creating, you know, a, a huge amount of interest and concern, uh, depending upon who you're talking to, uh, as to, as I said, uh, who leaked this document, um, you know, and, and so forth. So, you know, that is an ongoing question. Uh, we don't have an answer to that yet, although there is an investigation uh, going on uh, from the Chief Justice's uh, office into the matter. So we'll keep you posted on that as we find out more information. But I really want to get into is uh, some of the, the tangential issues that this document has, has brought to light. And as would be expected, uh, the political discussions, um, depending upon you know, which, which party you're in or whether, you know, liberal, conservative, you know, which side of the divide in this country that you're on. So as, as I said, we're not going to you know, go into a, a word-for-word reading of the document. However, uh, Politico had an article on its website uh, on May 2nd that uh, gives 10 key passages from Alito's draft opinion, which would overturn Roe v. Wade. And uh, he lists in the article from Josh Gerstein that um, 10 important passages of the draft uh, opinion include, uh, one, quote, that the Roe and Casey must be overruled. The Constitution makes no reference to abortion and no such right is implicitly protected by any constitutional provision, close quote. Uh, another one he cites is that, quote, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start. Its reasoning was exceptionally weak and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey have inflamed debate and deepened division. It's time to heed the Constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives, close quote. So, you know, it, the, the first two uh, clearly show that uh, at least uh, a majority of the court, well, not the, the full Supreme Court, but a majority of justices um, feel that Roe and Casey uh, must be overruled, that if the decisions were wrong from the start, as it says in the statement, and that the court's uh, opinion of where the issue of abortion should go from here is that it should be returned to the states for individual decisions by each state. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll tap on that in a minute. Uh, continuing with the, the reasons, uh, quote, in the years prior to Roe v. Wade, about a third of the states had liberalized their laws but Roe abruptly ended that political process. It imposed the same highly restrictive regime on the entire nation, and it effectively struck down the abortion laws of every single state. It represented the exercise of raw judicial power, and it sparked a national controversy that has embittered our political culture for a half century. So, you know, that that also indicates that the Supreme Court is looking at a state-based uh, solution or state-based addressing of the issue of protections for abortions in this country. Uh, another quote, the inescapable conclusion is that a right to abortion is not deeply rooted in the nation's history 
and traditions. On the contrary, an unbroken tradition of prohibiting abortion on pain of criminal punishment persists from the early days, earliest days, excuse me, of common law up until 1973. Another quote, in some states, voters may believe that the abortion right should be more even, uh, should be even more extensive than the right Casey and Roe recognized. Voters in other states may wish to impose tight restrictions based on their belief that abortion destroys a, quote, unborn human being, and, end quote. Uh, our nation's historical understanding of ordered liberty does not prevent people's elected representatives from deciding how abortion should be regulated. In the next quote, um, the, the author cites that uh, the idea of what is called stare decisis, uh, which is Latin for settled law, uh, is not an inexorable command and that it is at its weakest when we interpret the Constitution. It has been said that sometimes more important that an issue be settled than that it be settled right. But when it comes to the interpretation of the Constitution, the great charter of our liberties, which was meant to endure through a long lapse of ages, we place a high value on having the matter settled right. Uh, on many other occasions, another quote, this court has overruled important constitutional decisions. Without these decisions, American constitutional law as we know it would be unrecognizable, and this would be a different country. Uh, he continued, the article continues, Casey described itself as calling both sides of the national controversy to resolve their debate, but in doing so, Casey necessarily declared a winning side. The court short-circuited the democratic process by closing it to the large number of Americans who dissented in any respect from Roe. Together, Roe and Casey represent an error that cannot be allowed to stand. Uh, another uh, quote, Roe certainly did not succeed in ending division on the issue of abortion. On the contrary, Roe inflamed a national issue that has remained bitterly divisive for the past half century. This court's inability to end debate on the issue should not have been surprising. This court cannot bring about the permanent resolution of a rancorous national controversy simply by dictating a settlement, settlement excuse me, and telling the people to move on. Whether influence the, whatever influence the court may have on public attitudes must stem from the strength of our opinions, not an attempt to exercise, quote, raw judicial power. And finally, we do not pretend to know how our political system or society will respond to today's decision overruling Roe and Casey. And even if we could foresee what will happen, we would have no authority to let that knowledge influence our decision. We can only do our job, which is to interpret the law, apply long-standing principles of stare decisis, and decide this case accordingly. We therefore hold that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion. Roe and Casey must be overruled, and the authority to regulate abortion must be returned to the people and their elected representatives. So, essentially, you know, uh, that gives you the gist of what the justices uh, are looking at doing. And again, this is coming from a draft 
uh, memo that was written back in February. And there has been a lot of debate and discussion since then. So some elements of this may uh, get modified as we come closer to the final announcement of the decision. But, you know, I, I think it's clear that the intent of the court is to uh, eliminate or, or cripple the federal role in regulating abortion and move it to the states. Now, you know, considering that we have a divided number of states on the issue, uh, as, as I've heard, there are some 13 or so states that have what are called trigger laws that should Roe versus Wade uh, be overturned, uh, their own state-imposed uh, abortion bans would immediately take effect. And some of these uh, are actually uh, what some people are considering to be very draconian. There are penalties being proposed for uh, people that uh, go out of state or assist people in going out of state in order to obtain abortion uh, to making that a, uh, a, a crime. Uh, and at least one state uh, has uh, a, a proposal that is being considered that would include among the punishments for getting an abortion, it would actually make it a crime of homicide by the mother uh, to terminate a pregnancy um, through, through an abortion. So, you know, the, there is a, as I said at the top, there is a, a firestorm of reactions that are coming in. Uh, and the, the, the court is clear, in, at least as of February, in this draft memo, uh, the, the court seems to be indicating very decisively that they are, in fact, going to overturn uh, Roe versus Wade and subsequently overturn Casey uh, as well. And, you know, it, it's, it's going to return this country to the status on abortion that it was prior to 1973, and uh, we'll, we'll take a quick look at that as well. Uh, in a few minutes here on the show. So, you know, a, a, a contentious uh, decision, a, a controversial uh, leak of the document, and you have all the makings of something that is going to drive the news cycle as it has for the last 10 days. It actually even overshadowed the war in Ukraine uh, in terms of what the top stories covered by much of the media has been uh, over the last two weeks. Um, so, you know, what, what's to become should Roe versus Wade um, be overturned? So you know, there's another article uh, in, in Politico uh, that talks about uh, Senate Dems weigh their rule plans. Senate Democrats are gearing up for an abortion rights vote next week in response to the breach of a draft opinion that showed Supreme Court majority prepared to overturn Roe v. Wade. They fully expect it to fall short of even 50 votes. In the, way, uh, in the wake of Politico's report on the draft opinion, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer teed up a bill that would enshrine federal protections for abortion access, despite nearly identical legislation failing in the Senate at the end of February. And even as progressives and on and off the Hill clamor for action to codify Roe before the Supreme Court has a chance to eliminate it, 
no one is expecting a different outcome now. Let's let's dive into that uh, segment a little bit because there, there's some stuff there that needs sort of an expansion. So as, as I said, or I mentioned in, in what I was just talking about, the, the protections for abortion is not a, uh, what is called a codified law. That is, when a law is, is passed and signed, you know, you know, from the House to the Senate to the President's desk, it essentially becomes part of the Constitution. Uh, the decision made by courts are not per se parts of the Constitution. And, and let me caveat by saying that I am not a lawyer, uh, but it's just based on what I have read about the issue. Um, the, the idea is that a, a court decision can be overturned by another court decision. Um, a law is, is a lot different to, to uh, dismantle unless it is proven to be unconstitutional. Uh, but a court just can't go back like they like you know like happens every election where executive orders issued by the prior administration are summarily ended through the issuance of another executive order. Um, so you know in order to to continue the protections for abortion that we currently have, the Democrats have been proposing to to make it into a federal law that is, you know, it is something that would be enshrined in the Constitution uh, or as part of the, the extended document of the Constitution, as many of our laws are, uh, and would therefore protect and insulate it uh, even more so from, you know, just a random overriding uh, by a subsequent administration. So that has been discussion. They tried it in February, the Democrats did, and it failed. And given the current political climate, even this subject is not expected to, to be successful. But the one benefit that will accrue from calling for this vote and going through the motion of, of getting this vote is that it will place on the record the opinion of each and every senator. So what you would look for is uh, rather than than just a yay or nay, you know, eyes have it kind of vote, they will actually go through an ordered vote where each senator will need to record their their vote, yes or no, into the into the record. So thereby bringing, you know, how this senator or that senator voted uh, into a a public record that can be referred to as in upcoming oh I don't know campaigns um, and you know give a sense of who is actually in favor and who is not in favor because realize you know senators are humans just like anybody else they can tell you one thing lie to your face and and do something else and truthfully it's what they seem to do a lot um, but if their vote is on record as to where and how they voted on this issue, there's no arguing that. You cannot run away from that. It's on the record. It's history. It's, you know, it's documented. So, you know, and, and there were some interesting things that were included in this version uh, of the bill. 
Um, and, you know, the, the sponsor, as according to the article, Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut, uh, has tweaked it a little bit to appease worries from moderates, stripping out some non-binding language about abortion that raised some objections. But it's far from clear that, and, you know, here he is, Senator Joe Manchin, an abortion rights opponent, would vote differently than he did in February when he opposed the Democratic bill. Uh, there are some uh, language challenges with the original version, and I think they're trying to eliminate those concerns. And this was from Senator Tim Kaine, Democrat of Virginia. They're taking care of that. Is that enough to get Manchin's support? I don't know. And keep in mind that there is still that little thing called the filibuster that stands in the way of much of the Democratic agenda uh, during this current session of Congress. And with that filibuster still intact, requiring 60 votes to pass most bills, Democrats acknowledge that the coming Senate vote uh, on the floor will be largely symbolic. Still, party leaders argue it's necessary to put senators on the record given the heightened stakes on abortion rights following the breach draft opinion. Uh, both Senator Kane and Senator Blumenthal suggested that the Senate could take even more votes on Roe after next week's vote fails. So, you know, it, it, it's interesting that, you know, they are looking at options. Uh, one of the, the options, um, you know, is being, is going to come from Senator Collins of Maine and Senator Murkowski of Alaska. Uh, again, aiming at codifying Roe versus Wade. Um, but, you know, it, it contains some uh, controversial uh, references, including statements linking abortion restrictions to white supremacy and gender oppression, and emphasizing that the protections in it apply both to women and transgender men, non-binary individuals, those who identify with a different gender, and others. So, you know, they they wrote into this bill some things that you know much of the uh, conservative Senate, or all of the conservative Senate probably, uh, consider to be non-starters. And so, you know, they have to go back and you know, make some adjustments, make some tweaks before this bill could, you know, maybe see anything like the light of day. Uh, we shall see how that happens. Um, all right, we're going to take a pause here uh, for a few messages. And we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. We'll be right back. WJMS Media is the proud Raise Your Voice media sponsor for the American Lung Association's 8th Annual Lung Force Walk, New York City, taking place on Saturday, May 21st at Pier 16 at the South Street Seaport in Manhattan. Walk with us to raise critical awareness and funds to end lung cancer and other chronic lung diseases. For more information on how to register for free or donate, visit www.lungforce.org NYC. Because when you can't breathe, nothing else matters. And we're back. Thank you for listening to that public service message from your friends here at WJMS Media and Fire It Up. Uh, Getting back into the subject at hand, uh, we've kind of devoted the issue this week to all things uh, leaked Supreme Court memo and Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood being overturned. Um, one of the things that has come to light is some of the 
the fallout uh, among the senators uh, with regard to this legislation and uh, what it means and, and what its impacts are. Another article uh, that came from Politico uh, quotes uh, Republican Senator Susan Collins uh, says no to Democrats' abortion rights bill because it contains too many abortion rights. Um, the, the, the senator from Maine, Susan Collins, still claims that she is pro-choice. However, according to the article, she claimed to be shocked and dismayed that at the draft opinion indicating Supreme Court was poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. Specifically, the main lawmaker was beside herself in the idea that Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch had misled her about the uh, positions on, or about their positions on the landmark ruling during their Supreme Court confirmations. Collins, uh, according to the article, was one of the only, only people on the planet, along with her colleague Lisa Murkowski, who thought that the uh, two conservative justices nominated by a president who vowed to exclusively appoint judges who would overturn Roe would not, in fact, overturn Roe. Um, you know, in, 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 a, in a quote from her, it says, uh, if this leaked draft opinion is the final decision and this reporting is accurate, it would be completely inconsistent with what Justice Gorsuch, Gorsuch and Justice Kavanaugh said in their hearings uh, in, and in our meetings in my office. Given how angry the lawmaker was about having apparently been lied to, uh, how much she, she supposedly cares about preserving the right to an abortion and how the whole thing blew up in her face so embarrassingly, you might think that she'd be doing everything in her power right now to prevent such a right from being axed. But, according to the article, you would be very wrong. In addition to saying Tuesday that she would not support abolishing the filibuster to allow the Senate to pass legislation codifying Roe v. Wade ASAP, Collins declared on Thursday that she would vote no on the Women's Health Protection Act, which would establish the statutory right to an abortion and is expected to be voted on by lawmakers uh, next week, which, according to the date of this interview with her, would be this week. Why? According to Collins, it just recognizes too many rights for pregnant people. It supersedes all other federal and state laws, including the conscience protections that are in the Affordable Care Act, she told reporters when asked about her support of the bill, adding, it doesn't protect the right of a Catholic hospital to not perform abortions. And this right has been enshrined in law for a long time. Incidentally, according to Senate uh, Majority Leader Chuck Schumer from the article, Collins' claims about what the bill would do and her excuse for not voting for it are completely unfounded. Uh, in a quote from Schumer, some are saying that this legislation would tell hospitals certain religious hospitals that they have to perform abortions. He said at a press conference without referencing Collins by name. That is simply not true. The bill simply gives the statutory right to provide abortion care without medically, I'm sorry, without medically unnecessary restrictions. That's plain and simple. So this rumor is false. Um, you know, and uh, again, what we're seeing here is 
what we have seen, you know, over the the past ten plus years, uh, as the the uh, elected officials go back and forth, depending on which way the wind is blowing, uh, on their opinions and on their intentions. So this article continues uh, to say, obviously, the larger issue here is the question of how Collins continues to get away with claiming to be pro-choice while refusing to support measures to enshrine reproductive rights into law. While she and Murkowski are sponsoring their own bill called the Reproductive Choice Act, it is much more narrow than the Women's Health Protection Act. And Democrats, according to the Washington Post, believe it contains loopholes that would allow states like Mississippi to ban abortion after 15 weeks. Uh, as Slate reporter Christine Catarucci wrote on Wednesday, quote, to Collins, the dissolution of the precedent that has saved countless lives and allowed generations of women to pursue lives, careers, and parenthood on their own terms was never going to be an urgent human rights crisis, a worst-case scenario worth setting aside one's personal interest to avoid. It will be, for her, a fleeting disappointment, or at least the affectation of one, close quote. So the thing to consider uh, as we, you know, we, we analyze what, what we're hearing um, is that there, there is a wide variety of opinion uh, within the, the House and the Senate on you know, what should happen uh, with Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Uh, and, you know, we've heard from a, a few senators, uh, McCaskill, um, Collins, Manchin, and, and others, uh, about, you know, what their stands are. And, you know, these might be considered representative of, you know, some elements of the larger Senate body. Um, but it, it's clear that, you know, these opinions are flying in the face, as we've talked about on this show uh, many times when the subject of abortion has come up. Um, abortion in this country uh, is something that is overwhelmingly favored by uh, the American public. And in fact, a, um, an updating article on this was also released uh, via Politico. And, you know, it cites uh, statistics uh, that say, for example, that the Pew Research Center polled and found 37 percent of Americans want abortion illegal in all or most states. But an even bigger fraction, 63 uh, percent of Americans think abortion should be legal in all or most states. Um, it, they also cite, you know, some statistics on abortion rates. Uh, notably that current uh, abortion rates were lower than what they were in 1973 when the, the law was signed. Um, and, you know, pregnancy rates for females age 24 or below hit their lowest recorded levels in 2017, uh, a long-term decline in pregnancy rates among females 24 of the below or below. Overall in 2017, uh, pregnancy rates for females of reproductive age hit their lowest recorded levels with 87 uh, pregnancies per 1,000 females ages 15 to 44, according to uh, studies by the Guttmacher Institute. Um, 
And it also cites that the annual number of deaths related to legal induced abortion has fluctuated from year to year according to 1973, uh, and this comes from the CDC. Um, so, you know, what they're citing is that from 2013 to 2018, a national case fatality rate for legal induced abortion was 0.41 deaths per 100,000 legal induced abortions, lower than in the previous five years. The World Health Organization said people un- obtaining unsafe abortions at are, at are, are at excuse me, a higher risk of death annually. 4.7 to 13.2% of maternal deaths can be attributed to unsafe abortion, said the uh, World Health Organization. Uh, and that's, you know, in the developing regions of the world, there are 220 deaths per 100,000 unsafe abortions. Um, you know, and the other thing that ha- has been something cited and has been a point of discussion is, you know, when these, you know, abortions are taking place and, you know, the, the presumed uh, uh, age of the fetus in terms of the number of weeks uh, of pregnancy. And, you know, one of the things, according to the CDC, was that in 2019, 93% of abortions were performed at less than 13 weeks gestation. Um, and, you know, typically, uh, in addition, uh, it also talks about statistics on abortion pills uh, or chemical uh, abortions, which can typically be used up to 10 weeks into a pregnancy, made up 54% of abortions in 2020. These pills were the primary choice in the U.S. for the first time since the FDA administration approved the abortion drug milfespritone more than 20 years ago. Um, so, you know, there, there's you know all, all kinds of numbers supporting you know all kinds of sides to the argument. What is also clear is that uh, regardless of what the final language on the the Supreme Court's decision is. Um, and notwithstanding the fact that, you know, the, the document seems to indicate that the court is going to overrule uh, Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood, um, the discussion and the, the debate over abortion in this country is nowhere near over. Even if the law is decided, you know, one way or the other, the discussion is going to continue for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we, we, uh, we're not going to get basically a clean end to the situation. Uh, what we're going to get is a new direction that the arguments back and forth and the shouting uh, between the two sides is going to take. And we, we are going to need to find uh, some clear guidance and some clear direction on how we handle uh, this element of, of you know, our societal lives. Because, you know, something to keep in mind, prior to 1973, uh, it's not like abortions magically appeared in 1973 and then were banned by this decision in the Supreme Court. Uh, abortions have been going on, you know, for hundreds of years uh, around the world, and you know the the idea of what 
the the Roe v. Wade decision was and then the subsequent decision in KCV Planned Parenthood was the fact that they were in in most cases uh, un unsafe, unregulated, un um, uh, no oversight uh, was provided and were extremely risky to the women uh, who underwent the procedures. And keep in mind that we are we are talking some we are talking a situation that only got addressed 50 years ago with the decision on Roe. Um, you know, prior to that, uh, the, the terms um, back alley abortions and, you know, coat hanger abortions, and I, I'm sorry to be so graphic, but, you know, the, the ideas that uh, in many cases, particularly in poorer communities or rural communities, uh, women were self-aborting their own uh, pregnancies. And, you know, there was a much higher death rate among uh, women through this and you know the the idea uh, one of the benefits that this law put into place was that it stabilized the practice of terminating a pregnancy uh, brought it under the umbrella of you know of medical care and you know that it be provided by trained and competent people so you know there, there was there was pluses in this and, you know, the, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, as I've said before, the end of Roe v. Wade uh, and, and Casey uh, will not spell the end of abortions in this country. Uh, it will reintroduce the concept of uh, seeking abortions uh, extra legally outside of, you know, the, the legal scrutiny whether that's you know, in a state that still has a state uh, constitution that protects the rights, or whether it's in another country, such as Canada uh, or Mexico. Um, but abortions will still occur. The, the problem is, and the, 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 the problem particularly for women, is that the level of safety may fall out from under the regulatory protections of the medical community and you know hopefully we don't but we may return to an age where you know abortions were a dark and clandestine activity uh, performed out of the public view and and hopefully out of the view of law enforcement uh, and that that would be a dangerous thing so you know there there's a lot more discussion that will be had uh, with this coming out of Washington and coming out of the states, uh, particularly as we move toward the midterms. Uh, the final, final piece of the, the articles that I, I got from Politico around this talks about what falls after Roe. And this is something that you know, needs to have uh, the, the light of day shined on. It needs to be made a point of conversation more so than it is so far. So the article says, what falls after Roe? Liberals warn of a privacy rights nightmare. Um, so what, what does this mean? Well, the article goes, the extraordinary disclosure of a draft Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade is giving liberal legal advocates nightmares that go well beyond the right to abortion. 
while relegating Roe to the dustbin of history would be painful enough for many on the left, a raft of legal commentators declared Tuesday that Justice Alito's initial draft in the pending case on Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban could set off a series of other setbacks to victories dating all the way back to the 1960s in pivotal cases over individual rights. Uh, Liberals now warn that gay marriage, contraception, and other rights rooted in long-established constitutional protection for privacy could be threatened based on Alito's writing and reasoning in the draft opinion. And, you know, the, the quote, take this seriously, former U.S. Attorney Joyce White Vance wrote on Twitter, if Roe falls, rights that are further up that branch of the tree are, all, are also vulnerable. Um, you know, former Senator uh, Claire McCaskill, Democrat of Missouri, struck a similar note of alarm, warning that almost any right grounded in concerns about personal privacy was in jeopardy if an opinion like Alito's becomes law. According to her, they, according to her, they kicked the ladder out from under the right of privacy in the Constitution, uh, she said on NBC, MSNBC. There are a lot of decisions that rest on this right of privacy that springs not just from the Bill of Rights, but also the 14th Amendment and the concept of liberty in this country. Um, Alito actually included in his proposal a helpful list of rights arguably undercut by overturning Roe, even as the conservative George W. Bush appointee forcefully insisted that setting aside Roe wouldn't impact any right other than abortion. The protections discussed in in Alito's opinion range from the right to same-sex marriage, the high court declared in 2015, the right to contraception established in 1965, the right to engage in interracial marriage adopted by the court in 1967. Uh, After citing 14 such cases, Alito declares them to be irrelevant to abortion and confidently asserts that yanking Roe from the fabric of American jurisprudence would pose uh, would pose no threats whatsoever to those other rights. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's clear that that is an allude to you know something that uh, progressive and liberal uh, and even moderate uh, voters in this country need to be concerned about. Um, you know, it would it would mean impacting the lives of, you know, not just women, but, you know, women and men, married couples, um, you know, same-sex married couples. Uh, it, it, it could have impacts on transgender couples. I mean, it could go across a very wide swath of, you know, things that we take uh, somewhat for granted in this country today. Um, President Joe Biden uh said it would mean that every other decision relating to the notion of privacy is thrown into question, Biden said in response to questions from reporters last Tuesday, just after Chief Justice John Roberts issued a statement confirming the draft obtained by Politico is authentic. Um, Biden specifically suggested that same-sex marriage could be again outlawed in some states if a legal Alito's law Uh, or view whole sway in the high court. Does this mean that in Florida, 
they can decide they're, they can decide they're going to pass a law saying that same-sex sex marriage is not permissible and that it's against the law in Florida. Uh, it's a fundamental shift in American jurisprudence. So, in other words, they're saying that, um, you know, overturning Roe v. Wade, um, you know, the, the proponents are citing that it, it is not going to have impacts on other um, rights that are granted under the protections of privacy. However, uh, I think if anything, you know, recent political history would let us know that those are very subjective uh, statements and entirely depending upon the makeup of the power structure in this country. Uh, it, it's easy to say when, you know, the Democrats control all three arms or, or I'm sorry, control the, the, the White House and both houses of Congress uh, and, and make those statements, even though those, those majorities are slim. Should, you know, a, a conservative majority take over, um, you know, my opinion, uh, all bets are off that, you know, they, they would, in fact, look at you know, additional decisions that could be uh, overturned, um, you know, and, and I mentioned a few. The same-sex marriage uh, ruling uh, was from a case called Obergfell versus Hodges, and, you know, and that ruling was delivered only seven years ago. One of the things that the articles have, have cited is that the the rights that seem to be most at risk are the ones that have the least amount of history behind them. So things like, you know, some of the voting rights components that were, were decided by the court and, and some things dating back 30, 40, 50 or, you know, or more years are less likely to be subject to this kind of attack. Uh, Key words there are less and likely. Um, however, you know, that you know, one of the, one of the comments in the article states some legal experts don't think that the slippery slope is all that slippery in practice because many of the rights Alito cites are no longer terribly controversial. Well, you know, that's kind of a subjective statement. You know, it, it depends on who is uh, subjecting and and you know how controversial they believe the law is. There are some people out there that think same-sex marriage is an abomination before God. And, you know, they may be represented by people who hold the levers of power in this country. There are others that would be equally uh, pleased to see laws on uh, interracial marriage um, go away. There are many uh, who consider some of the laws that grant, um, you know, protections and, and so forth to women and other groups, uh, that those uh, are, are, you know, time for a look over. So, you know, it, it, it's clear that, and we haven't dug nearly as deep into the, the circumstances surrounding this leaked memo as, as is being done out there. Uh, you definitely want to open up your your research circles, do your diligence and digging, and read as many different perspectives on this as you can find, because uh, there is a lot there to consider. Um, and 
it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out as we come into the midterms. Uh, you know, we'll probably spend some time in the next episode talking about the uh, political firestorm that could arise out of this decision. So um, the last point that I want to bring out, as, as always, you know, the, the name of this show is Fired Up. And, you know, there have been many things that have come across our table here on this show over the last two years that, you know, fall into that category of getting uh, people fired up. One of the things that I try to do is to give you a deeper look into some of the headline stories that you hear about every day uh, so that you can do your diligence, you can, you can check into it, you can do your research, learn more so that you can be informed and educated. Nothing, I think, matches up to the title of this show like this um, impending decision from the Supreme Court. And particularly for you know, women in this country, uh, as I've, I've said many times, I am a, a father of daughters, a grandfather of granddaughters, uncles to nieces, and you know, all of that. And as I look out over, you know, my family and my extended families and, and see the impacts this can have, um, I, I get very, very, very passionate about what needs to be done. So, you know, for, for women out there and for those um, who, who love and care for women out there, um, you need to get fired up about this. You need to do your research, find out where your political leaders stand all the way up and down the line. Remember, a lot of this is going to impact the local level. So don't overlook your, your state elected officials and your city and county elected officials as you pay attention to the federal elected officials. Um, you know, get engaged, get active, you know, practice the activism you need to practice uh, in order to uh, perhaps change the outcome of this or at, at best to make sure that we mitigate the, um, the reaction and the fallout from it uh, as we move forward. Uh, we are heading into what looks to be some rocky landscape. Uh, the midterms are going to be contentious. Pay close attention to what your uh, candidates are saying, question them on where they stand on this issue. And if they don't match your expectations, find another candidate. So as always, you know, we need to make sure that we are digging wider and deeper, that we are educating and enlightening ourselves so that we can make informed and empowered decisions with regard to our political future. Because our elected officials work for us. It is not the other way around. That's going to do it for this episode. We will obviously be touching on this again in future podcasts uh, sooner rather than later. And I want to thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning to WJMS Media and getting your podcast uh, from the available sources. If you have questions or comments or you want to discuss this, please send an email to uh, the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. I look forward to reading your comments, and as always, I will be pushing another podcast your way in seven days. Take good care, people.